Laura London, and this is a special video edition of Speaking of Jung. Returning to us today for episode 125 is Jungian analyst and clinical psychologist, Dr. Susan Schwartz in Paradise Valley, Arizona. She holds a master's degree in social work from Boston University and a doctorate in clinical psychology from the Union Institute. She trained as a Jungian analyst at the C.G. Jung Institute Zurich, where she earned a diploma in analytical psychology in 1986. Dr. Schwartz is a member of the International Association of Analytical Psychology, the American Psychological Association, and the New Mexico Society of Jungian Analysts. For many years, she has been teaching developing Jung groups in Poland and South Africa for the International Association of Jungian Analysts and has been a course instructor at both the Jung Institute and the International School of Analytical Psychology in Zurich. Dr. Schwartz has written several journal articles and book chapters on fathers and daughters and on the Puella archetype. In 2018, she was nominated for the Gradiva Award for Best Article by the National Association for the Advancement of Psychoanalysis for the Dead Father Effect on the Psyche of a Daughter, Sylvia Plath. She has presented her work at various congresses of the IAAP, including the Dead Mother Effect on a Daughter in Montreal in 2010, Narcissism, Aging, Anima Mundi, Paradox and Necessity in Kyoto in 2016, Narcissism, Psychological Oneness, Excluding Love of the Other in Vienna in 2019, and most recently, Who Am I Really in Buenos Aires in 2022. You can learn more about these presentations in our first interview together in episode 40. Dr. Schwartz is the co-author of Couples at the Crossroads with Dr. Daniela Rohrer and Aging and Becoming with Susan Scott. Her first book, The Absent Father Effect on Daughters, Father Desire, Father Wounds, was published by Routledge in 2020 and is the subject of our second interview together in episode 76. Her new book, Imposter Syndrome and the As-If Personality in Analytical Psychology, The Fragility of Self, is being released by Routledge later this month, and it is the subject of our talk today. This episode is made possible by the revolutionary new dream recording app, Temenos Dream. Discover the hidden meaning of your dreams with help from symbolism, literature, AI, and friends. Download the app, available for both iOS and Android, and create a free account by October 15th to get free premium access for life. Please use the link in the description box below or on our website, speakingofyoung.com, where you will find links to everything discussed in this episode in the show notes. This video interview is being recorded on Wednesday, September 13th, 2023, through the magic of StreamYard. It's great to see you, Dr. Schwartz. And you too, Laura. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to finally see you. This is the first video interview we've done together. We've done two previous episodes, both audio. So it's really wonderful to be able to see you. And we are here today to discuss your new book. And I just want to let the listeners know that in the first interview we did together, which was in 2019, January 2019, we discussed your background, yeah. um, your training. You are both a Jungian analyst and a clinical psychologist, yes. and you practice in um, the greater Phoenix area. I don't know if, if you have any updates to that. Are you, you're still in Paradise Valley, right? Yes, I am. And I just have one thing because you're right about updates. And of course, mm -hmm. it relates to everything that we are going to talk about. I am not a member any longer of the New Mexico Society. Okay. And so that's just an update because we all change through time. Yeah. And that is the whole point also of imposter syndrome and the as if personality is that we might start one way and the hope is that we change through time. Mm. 
I love that. Yeah. So you are practicing, you, you see your patients in person and you also do work online? I do both. I found that our world itself has changed. Yeah. So that many people that I began with online have continued online and many uh, live outside of Paradise Valley and outside of Arizona. And this, I think as well, is a something that we have benefited from post COVID and during COVID is that we can expand our world. And if there is anything that is the essence of Jungian psychology, it is the expansion of the world, mm. the outreach to the world in an equitable, not hierarchical, mm. but equitable way. Mm. So you are available. Um, both. It, both in person and online. Yes, mm -hmm. I am. Yes. Okay. That's wonderful to know. And also you have your own website. Uh, not, not all analysts do. And would you tell the listeners how to find you online? Yes, I will. It is www.susanschwartzphd.com. And on the website are quite a few of presentations that I have made yes. and sample pages of my now two books uh, is available. I think it's helpful for people to be able to read something, see if they want to buy it before they buy it. It's always a good thing. That's right. And I'm remembering now that in our first episode together, you made available to me uh, some of your papers in PDF format, and I uploaded them to our website, speakingofyoung.com. And so there are links in the show notes for all of Dr. Schwartz's episodes, um, which there'll be links to uh, in the in the show notes for this episode. So thank you for making those papers available online for people to read. That's very generous of you. And equally generous of you to put them on yours. Because again, uh, the more that we can attain of knowledge, yeah. the more that we know, and the less, the less we are unconscious, the yeah. more we, yeah, the more we gather to ourselves and become aware. And that's the point of the whole thing, anyway. Yes. Or, or of life, you could say, or even of speaking of Jung, it, it, it's to become aware of ourselves. Actually. Yes. Yeah. Well put. Well put. So today we are going to focus on your new book. This is, as I said, your second book and your first book that was released in 2020, yes. The Absent Father, Effect on Daughters, uh, is one of the most listened to episodes of Speaking of Young, actually. Uh, it really resonated with a lot of people. I know it did with me. And I'd like to ask you now with your second book, uh, it's actually being released on the, it'll be available on the 26th of this month. It has been available for pre-order on Amazon. Amazon, excuse me, there'll be a link in the show notes and in the YouTube description below. And uh, so it is available for pre-order, but I'm curious as to how this book came about because these are concepts that you had mentioned on our previous episodes, both of them. So mm -hmm. how did this material come to be now a book? Well, it's similar to what we are doing now. It became an evolution. Mm -hmm. So in the, actually in the first book, but actually way before then, I had given speeches and presentations on, as you had mentioned, Sylvia Plath, Dead Father Effect, um, various different aspects of imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and the as if personality. And as one gets into the information, you see even more uh, what applies in a wider culture mm -hmm. and what applies in my analytical work. And so uh, what I have really written about in the imposter syndrome and as if personality is something which has been around for a very long time, but yeah. it got lost. Mm. You know, I think I spoke about it 
that there was a woman named Helena Deutsch yes. in 1940s who was a Freudian psychoanalyst. Mm -hmm. And she uh, got the term as if personality, but she described it only to women right. and women who were not analyzable, mm. which is a bit of a cut to the feminine quite a bit. Uh, and then Hester Solomon took up the Jungian analyst in Britain, took it up in 2004 and really made the point of this is an analyzable person. This is someone who can respond to inner work and can grow from it. And in reading Hester Solomon's article, there was something inside of me and it happens to all of us, it clicked. Yeah. And I saw the people that I know, people I work with, men and women of this personality type. So many people who come to analysis and almost the first session say, you know, I'm a fraud. I am mm. a fraud, I'm not real. And therein lies what we are going to discover through the analysis, which is the reality of who they are. Mm. So they had adopted being an imposter, another word that is used for fraudulence, very early in life. And you know, it distorted the personality. It hurt mm. them. And it intrigued me because I wanted us to follow the hurt and find not just repair, but growth from mm. it. And mm. that's really, where it began. Now, there's also a question of, do you see what you want to see? And I had to evaluate that. No, I don't think so. I was seeing what was. And a, again, a piece that had not been really dealt with in Jungian work. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I'm intrigued by this. If I am, other people are as well. So that's where. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that term, the imposter syndrome, is kind of a, is it a pop psychology term that, because Jung didn't use that term. So yeah. how did you come to look at it through a Jungian lens? Yes, it's a good point. No, Jung never mentioned the word imposter. Mm -hmm. it's, it's actually close psychologically to narcissism. Mm -hmm. But Jung himself had four times in the entire collected works yeah. narcissism. Mm -hmm. And that's partly because Freud and the Freudians did narcissism. But it needs a Jungian focus. Yeah. And also you are correct in that imposter syndrome is pop psych. And I wanted to deepen pop psych. Yes. So people come to Jungian analysis, oftentimes not even knowing what they are in, but mm -hmm. the ones that come want more. And mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to, in my own way, provide more of the imposter syndrome or the fraudulence that people felt. And let's deepen into it. Let's not put a bandaid on it and make us smile. Let yeah. us figure out why and what this is doing in the psyche. So because Jung didn't look at it and Jungians following by and large have not, I thought, okay, let's explore it. Let's explore what was not explored from the perspective of 2023 mm -hmm. or from the perspective of myself, uh, a woman in, living here with my perspective, it's a Western perspective. Yes. I, yes. Want to, I want to say that because I don't know that the imposter syndrome applies to everyone or the as if personality, that was my question. But as I have put it out to the world, so many people that you would not think actually do recognize imposter syndrome and as if personality, it's not really just Western. Mm -hmm. absolutely global yes and you do address that in the book uh when we get to it in chapter nine on aging image and illusion uh you do address the the west and east and how things are uh 
a little different culturally. But let's start at the beginning with defining some of these uh, terms. But I do want to circle back just for a minute to something you said about just putting a smile on our face. And I can just hear uh, some of the people that I've interacted with um, who, uh, a writer I know actually, who said, you know, I just feel like a fraud and a phony. And, and she used that word imposter. And mm -hmm. typically what I hear is that her friends would gather around her and tell her, oh, no, you're not. You are absolutely not that. And just kind of prop her up, tell her how great she is, how fabulous, how fantastic she is, how she's real. That doesn't change anything. So no. we're looking at the unconscious. So when we say we're looking at this from a Jungian point of view, we're looking at what's going on in the unconscious. We are. And the reason and how we see it is in the dreams. Your your friend is a perfect example. It would be interesting what how she appears in the dreams. Mm. What costume is she in? Is she current age? Is she another age? Is she actually another person or another part of herself? And it is something really when somebody says, you know, I am a fraud, to be able to say, I get it. Let's explore it. Yeah. It makes you feel more real when somebody honors what that is. The, the definition of imposter or mm -hmm. active personality is actually kind of individual. Okay. Right? So some people would say, I know I'm a fraud because of this, this, and this. Some people say, I've known I was a fraud when I was born. Mm. I mean, for a variety of quite difficult reasons. Sure. Some people say I became a fraud at age 12 when I went into puberty. Mm. Some people say I know I became an imposter when I found my partner who I don't think I really love and mm. never did. So you see it has a variety of aspects to it, each very individual, and we wouldn't want to cover them up with, oh yeah, an imposter or as if person is this, this, and this. You never see it really. I mean, I have a part that says as if defined. Yes. Yes. Okay. As if defined, yes. But also I'm hoping that it came across that that definition is not in stone and that it is a movable definition because we are growing people. Mm. Mm -hmm. Great point. So the title of the book is Imposter Syndrome and the As-If Personality. So they are together, right? They're not two distinct things. I don't think so. And I use them together in a certain sense. So here's the reality of the world, because the imposter syndrome is more well known. So the reality of the world and the reality of publishing, etc., is rather harsh. Yes. Okay. But but the reality of being a person is also harsh. Right. And so the harshness is put in imposter syndrome, link it to as if personality, because they are similar. So as long as it's in truth and in reality, all right. But I don't want to deny the kind of ruthless harshness of living. And yeah. It's kind of in exactly what you said. It is also, and I'm going to loop forward to something you mentioned just a bit ago, is that the book includes aging. I know yeah. I'm jump. I know I'm jumping. It's okay. But it, but it goes to the imposter and the as if personality because as people age, and I would say, still more with women. Mm -hmm or people who identify as women, mm -hmm. it becomes uh, something heavily denied, oftentimes in horrifying ways. And the as if person or the imposter will have too many facelifts, will start to look awful, will decline in their hope for a full life, no matter how old they are, they will give up. Sadly, and that is our culture. Yeah, demeans women. A actually, a friend said to me, "You know, 
as we age, you have to get used to the fact that nobody will see you. And I said, really, why? Because, and this was true for this person. Mm. I can go anywhere and nobody sees me. And sadly, that is true for many people over the age of X, whatever right. it is, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And people in analysis with me say the same thing. They go online, they on, on internet dating. Oh. If you're over X age, you better put up a phony picture or you better make it sound in a phony way. And there's the uh, aggrandizement of the imposter and the as if. Mm. You know, what's interesting, and I was listening back to the, the two previous episodes we did together, and I heard myself mention that I was watching a television show called The Bachelorette, and I rolled my eyes and I thought, oh my goodness, was I watching that? <laughs> and this month, I saw in the ads, they're starting a senior edition of the television show, The Bachelor. And so he's over 70, I think, and all of his suitors, the, the females, are over 60. And I thought that was so interesting. And I wondered why now are we recognizing love and romance in after midlife, in the, the quote, senior years? Because actually, it is happening quite frequently. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. And maybe people are learning to live in honor of whatever their age is. If they are 46, if they are 52, if they are 69, 80s, whatever it is, right. 90s, whatever, right. they are honoring their whole selves. And that's actually why I wrote the book. It is yeah. like, wait a second, let us honor the entire arc of life. And you don't have to pretend or dishonor yourself or deny or go invisible. Go visible and be your, be who you are. Yeah. You want to create when you're however old, be creative, it will keep you alive. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. So I, in my fashion, like to go through the book chapter by chapter, which we don't have to do. And you say you, you jumped around, I'm a jumper, I jump around a lot too. So I just have this as, as a guide in the first chapter, which is titled As If Defined, uh, you open it with a parable from the trial by Franz Kafka, uh, who I, I love. And um, it, you say that it relates to the very problem of the as if person. You say, who does not realize how to manifest what is theirs and how to inhabit their existence. And I think that's what you were just really talking about. What is yours and, and your existence? As, as you are. Yes, and there is another piece mm -hmm. that I probably should have added, but you have to know to push through the door and to assert your own right that that is your door and go through it if you are going to hesitate and hold back and say, oh, I don't look right. I don't have the right this, that, something else. You won't take what's yours. And you'll deprive yourself of your life and your life force. And that will be against the self. Yeah. So going through the door is a movement, an assertion, a statement of being and of your right to exist. Mm -hmm. And it's something that when people learn, I'm an imposter, I'm not this, I'm not that, I have to put on a facade they won't fully go through the door. Mm. You use the term the self. And for the listener, if we have any listeners who are not familiar with Jungian terms, what do you mean by the self, speaking as a Jungian analyst? Well, Jung aligned it oftentimes, oh, in so many ways. One with a, uh, you could say almost a transcendent image inside and outside. So I would say it is, to me, it is who we are that is more than what we know. Mm. So everything we know about ourselves is insufficient because we actually have much more to know. 
Yeah. And that's the thing about living your life completely. The self to me also is a very special part of Jungian psychology. It says, don't be content with just fixing a symptom. Go beyond the symptom. Go deeply or or deeply or transcendently or widely into yourself. Really figure out the meaning of who you are. That's what the self is about to me. Now, somebody else will have a different definition. Mm -hmm. but, but I think it really relates very much to finding the meaning of your life and also the meaning of the suffering that you have had to go through to figure out that your life is valuable. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, they go, together, they go together. So, yes, I'm, I think it's important that you also pointed out because it distinguishes Jungian psychology from others. It honors the wealth of who we are as people. That concept of the self. It does. It also brings the historical past into our personal life, our transgenerational mm. heritage, responsibility. We are not just planted right here. We also have a valuable past, personally, familially, culturally, that we want to pay attention to and honor. So I think the self encompasses that as well. Mm -hmm. The next chapter is on the persona, uh, mm -hmm. through the looking glass of persona. And you, you open it with a quote from the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, what the gods give, they quickly take away. Well, you know, I mentioned uh, facelifts. Yeah. It's, it's quite like the picture of Dorian, portrait of Dorian Gray, that, that in fact, you can try to alter yourself, but if you don't do it honestly, in a way of deep growth and development, you'll have a false picture of you. Mm -hmm. And my what I go into in that chapter is honoring the persona, as a possibility of reflecting who we really are. Not a static image, but an image where one day we look this way, one day, another day, for this event we dress in this way, mm -hmm. for that event in another way. But the point is, be honest and be your real self. Not what the collective determines, but what you determine inside. And then your persona is real, then you show who you are and you're not being phony. It, it's really a challenge. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge, but it is an opportunity for real. Mm -hmm. So one wouldn't, uh, when I'm at home, I like to wear you know, a NASA t-shirt and lounge pants. I wouldn't go into a meeting, into a conference room with mm -hmm. my hair in a high ponytail and my NASA t-shirt, right? So I dress for the occasion and I wear my hair down and blown out straight like I am now. And that now that is a persona, who I am in the conference room, right? Yes, however, the persona, nobody says that the persona has to be rigid and the persona actually must be flexible. So Jung took the word from the Greek masks, huge masks, they were like tremendous, mm -hmm. evidently. And then to wear the mask, you couldn't see anything else. It, it, it's quite an image actually. However, if we adopt that and say, I'm going to use this because it reflects me in this situation, me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wear this because it reflects the real me mm. in this situation. Equally, in dreams, you can see your persona different. You might be wearing or appearing or acting in ways that you wouldn't normally, but maybe that is an opening that is saying, hey, have you tried this? Mm. And that, that, to me, the persona can be flexible, challenging, and should not be the same all the time. Mm 
Mm. That's, that would be phony. Uh, you, you wouldn't do that. Yeah. It would. So the persona to me is to be natural. Now Jung talks about it, and this is true that many people put on a persona in a phony kind of way. And so you, you're negating who you really are. So there's a difference. So if I dress differently to enter this meeting, I'm still who I am. Yes. But if I actually put on an air and yes. and and use words that aren't mine or try to be like somebody else, then I'm not being true to who I really am. That's right. And so what I say is be true to who you are. Use your persona to be true to who you are. Jung says, and this is true, very often people use the persona to be untrue mm. are and to present false images. And in that they are an imposter. Yeah. So very important. Yeah, very well said. Yes. It is important. It's an important yes. concept. Uh, in the next chapter, chapter three, it's titled The Presence of the Father Shadow. That's so interesting to me. And you say that the shadow requires attention and notice as underneath are buried the treasures of knowledge. And you and I discussed this on a previous episode about how sometimes that, you know, that word is out there, the shadow, the shadow self, you know, and, and sometimes people don't attribute it to Jung. And that it is always, when I hear it out, out there, it is always evil, dark, destructive, uh, all the, the very uh, kind of violent qualities. And that's not necessarily the shadow. The shadow just means hidden or ignored, unacknowledged. But, yes, and undeveloped. And undeveloped, okay. Undeveloped and undeveloped. In that chapter, I, I referred the shadow of the father can be a little, it's a little more complex. Yeah. Because it also includes what does that father project onto the daughter of himself that he has not realized? Mm. What is his shadow that he present, projected onto her? And what does she pick up? of the, um, Jung would call it the unlived life of the father. And then the question is, is she living herself or is she living his shadow? Yeah. And that can be, again, very uh, many layered and quite complex because it's usually projected non-verbally. Mm. Therefore, very powerfully. Oftentimes it's verbal and non-verbal, which, you know, doubles the power of it. So analysis is peel off these shadowy pieces that might have been projected onto you and find out who you really are within the shadow of the father. It's very powerful because we live in a patriarchy. Yeah. And Jungian psychology in many ways has a high patriarchal element to it. Right. And we, we've just we're in it. You can't, we can't deny it. What we can do is become conscious as much as possible of how are we living out the shadow of the personal father, the collective father, the cultural father, because we're doing it. I mean, you can't say not. So, and what qualities have we denied in ourselves and what have we bought that we want to shed? We want to get rid of those things. I think I'm going to just extend it a bit. They can be deadly to the psyche. Yeah. Yeah. And that's some of the work we can do in analysis. Yes, absolutely. Yes. That's the value. The next chapter, chapter four, the refusal of two-ness in sexual addiction and pornography. Mm -hmm. And you have, you use a, a person uh, as an example, the story of Daniel, the addict. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult chapter. You, you talk about addiction and then the as if personality comes in, in all of these chapters. Uh, so does narcissism. And uh, it ends with the symbolic emerging for healing. It did. And actually, so that person, like all of them, 
is a composite. Sure. Uh, yeah. And I just want to make that clear. Okay. Yeah, that it's a composite because of confidentiality, because of honoring the psyche, but it's not just honoring that person's psyche. It's honoring many people who fit into that category. And the reason I used uh, pornography was that it is a topic that many people do not address. Mm -hmm. Many Jungians do not address mm. well. And it is a means for people to hide themselves. So they look at pornography in secret. They don't tell anybody. They feel ashamed. They can't stop their singularity. So this is the narcissism. They're kind of bound by this invisible shield of singularity. I am alone. I am with the computer screen. I am in a pornographic haze and I can't stop it. Because what is drawing that person? Is it the singularity? Is it the secret? Is it the fact that it's pornography? Is it the fact that sex is a bit distorted in our puritanical culture? Yeah. I mean, there's many things involved there. And the, the real trouble or the difficulty with the psyche is it's so used to being alone from very young. Mm. Uh, it started early. I don't know, six, seven, eight. It didn't start at 15 or 13. It started earlier, usually. And the withdrawal into oneness is very hard to get out to the two-ness and relationship. Mm. And so why it ends, the chapter ends with symbolism is that it shows the psyche is alive. Mm. Singular is... Not that it's dead, but it's not as alive with this. Mm -hmm. And the symbols bring one into the unconscious, which is two-ness. Brings one into transferences with an analyst. Brings one into oneself. And so the emergence out of the, you could say, the oneness haze or the pornographic haze happens through the symbolic. Mm. It's an amazing process that is not short, but so worthwhile, very much so, to the psyche of the person and everyone around them. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's very powerful. It is. Yes. it is. I have found it very powerful as well. Yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll leave that for the... The listeners to get the book and, and read through that. Um, the following chapter, chapter five, is about echo and narcissus. And you open it with the metamorphosis by Ovid and the conundrum of narcissism. And again, uh, you and I discussed in a previous episode about how the concept of narcissism we both find to be quite misunderstood in, in our culture. And it wasn't a term that Jung used, but it was picked up by some analysts. And it's, it's quite a popular term, again, in, in, the, in, in the culture. But it is not, I don't think, very well understood and is misused. I would agree with you. Uh, I think that so many people are labeled as narcissists very easily. Well, that might even include all of us. We live in a narcissistic culture. Yes. World, Western United States, very narcissistic. Mm. The, the Jungian analysts that have written about it, Nathan Schwartz, Salant, Mario Jacobi, uh, Patricia Berry wrote about Echo, but very few actually have really explored the whole topic of narcissism and how it relates uh, also to the myth. The myth is gorgeous. What's interesting in the myth by Ovid is again, where is Echo? Mm. And if you, if you, as you read it, I mean, we focus so much on so and so as a narcissist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, but, but Echo goes along with the narcissist. Mm. And in the process, neither of them get love and both of them lose their bodies. They are so kind of two sides of the same coin mm. in a very strange way. She, 
she, and if, if she represents the feminine in some form, but I mean the feminine loosely that we all have, yeah, is pining after what? She doesn't even know him. Mm. She's pining after somebody who turns his back on her, who is singular, who rejects. On the other hand, uh, I think this is interesting. French philosopher Jacques Derrida speaks about echo as not just repeating Narcissus, but as drawing him out, mm. as having him pay attention, not just a, a, an echo. She's not just an echo. She is a sound. And through her sound, even though she loses her body, through her mm. sound, he hears something and she brings him to some attention. And this is not spoken about too much. Right. I found it interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yes. One other thing I just sure. want to say mm -hmm. about the narcissism, that yes, it is a popular term, but I think, again, pop psych more than in Jungian in-depth approach. And also in pop psych, it's uh, he or she is or whoever is a narcissist and therefore not all right. Right. So so people are dismissed yes. because, because of what? It, because of their, in a, their singularity? Because they are hard to reach? Mm. That, that's really, people tend to give up. They say, oh, a narcissist. I have to get out of this. It's awful. But the question is, is it? And are you in it for a reason? Yes. There's something valuable here. And that, to me, is also the value of Jungian psychology. It's like, what is valuable here that we really want to know about and can learn from? Yeah. That right there. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that that chapter ends with a section titled "Possibility." Yes, exactly. Because because again, if if we look at narcissism as only pathology, mm -hmm. where is its creativity? Mm -hmm. Where is the? It, we want to reach out towards it. We want to get it. There's something valuable in narcissus. There's something valuable. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just continuing on here, uh, the next chapter is titled Blank, Void, Emptiness. And it opens with a recap of Hansel and Gretel. Well, yes, I did. Because, yeah, they didn't love the children. Mm -hmm. And then we have to really face, does one develop? the imposter syndrome and the as if personality because they were not loved correctly. Mm -hmm. And from the very beginning, they were pushed away. They were abandoned. They were not valued. They were um, left to their own devices. They had no crumbs to eat. I mean that metaphorically. Sure. Emotionally. And I wanted to bring up again that it's, it's a difficult road and it doesn't start with that person. It starts with how they were raised, mm -hmm. what happened to them. And even they could have been in a situation which to the outside world didn't look absent and yet was yeah. absent. And that yeah. is the worst absence. People have so many times said, you know, I know that people thought that my family was fine. Yeah. It was not fine, and nobody listened to me, no one to tell. And so that's why I brought it up, that it could look like there are parents or there are people, but there really are not, and that's the problem, absence. It's, it, it does also lead a space to be filled. That, that's a concept from Andre Green, French psychoanalyst. Mm -hmm. I think it is gorgeous because it mm -hmm. gives hope and it says that it's a space that you can absolutely fill. Mm. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The next chapter deals with envy. Envy as a disturbed search for self. And you say envy is actually the hallmark 
of the as-if personality. You point out that it never occurs to this person that what is assumed to be in others also resides in themselves. Yeah, it, it's the, in a way, it's the beauty of envy. It's a connector. Mm. So when you look at someone, we all do this. I yes. envy so-and-so for this and that. Well, you envy them because maybe there's a part of you that wants to be developed quite in the way that they are. And so look at it and honor it. Bring it back to yourself. Unfortunately, what an imposter or as if person tends to do is fry in their own envy. They're just taken over by mm -hmm. enviousness. It occurs in analysis with envy of the analyst. Mm -hmm. I think I speak about that. Mm -hmm. And the question is, how is that dealt with in a sensitive, open way so that somebody can learn about their own envy and use the energy in it for their development? It's a tremendous amount of energy in envy. Mm -hmm. You know, it can to be it can tend to be almost rapacious. So use that energy for your own being and your own development. And I brought it up also because I found that people who feel they don't have enough easily envy. Yeah. It almost unconsciously envying all the time. Right. And so I want it to be honored. Bring it back to yourself. Do that which you envy and know that you can try it. I mean, try it. Why not? I love that. I love your work. The next chapter, the encounter of transferences. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, in that, I uh, I think I gave, I would give a, couple of examples of people that I've worked with, mm -hmm. um, hopefully well disguised, maybe so well that they don't, they, they would read it. Sure. However, the point about it is how the two people together work out being known and seen, the unconscious coming forward, that it is an honoring of the both and the between space. So I just, for the listeners who might not be familiar with the term transference, we're talking about the analyst and the analysand. Yes. 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 In this instance, yes. But let's also say the transferences occur in all relationships. Okay. Actually, so it's that between space. It's the connectedness that actually is so difficult for an imposter or as a mm. person to accept because they're seen. The point is to be seen. The point is to be known. But, and that right, right. feels, it can sometimes feel so dangerous. Yes. So it, one wants to honor the fear and the apprehension, but not honor it to the point where you don't deal with it. Yeah. Honor it to the point where you talk about it and bring it forward in a sensitive way to both and to realize that both people are in it together. And I think this, again, is the value of Jungian psychology. There's, it's really a relational, mm. both are affected, both are honored, both have to be paying attention to what is going on so that the igniting of something else can happen. It only happens with the consciousness that it, this unconscious element gets to emerge through the connection of both, through the connection. Through the connection, and that's why it's so important for the analysts to have been analyzed themselves. Yes, if you don't know about your own fragility, mm. and your own, I will say this, your own imposter, or as mm. if part, how can you help somebody else? Yeah, You have to know it and say, yes, I know that piece, Maybe you know it in a different way than the person that you're working with, of course. But it's like knowing of all of your blemishes and recognizing as many of them as you can and working them constantly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Knowing them in, internally, the, your, the inner world, not just the outer world, not just intellectually, through reading, through studying, through training, but as it applies to you. 
as it applies to you, but not as it, I mean, everyone is different, but um, not as it applies in the sense of, you know, I'm going to reveal all of my personal stuff and sure. then, or I'm going to help you. That doesn't help anybody. Mm. It does help with the empathic response and the opening to the unconscious. And you open the unconscious, the more you know about yourself. So mm -hmm. it's using yourself in a, in a way, not just disclosure, because what does that do? I mean, yeah, not much, but let's explore what is going on for you and what is going on for you here in this room. How do you really feel? And can you really be yourself? So when somebody says to me, I am a fraud or I'm not real or I don't feel in my body, I don't feel embodied. I take them basically seriously, for sure. And I say, but how do you feel here now? And can you note when you feel dead, when you feel alive, when you feel real or not, and bring it up? And of course, it comes through the dreams as well. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So moving on then to chapter nine, which is on aging, aging, image, and illusion. And you open it with the first hexagram from the I Ching. Yeah, I do. I do. Well, it's the beginning. You could almost say, I didn't say this exactly, uh -huh. but, you could, but you could almost say, so you're going towards whatever, whatever towards the end of life is, whatever that means, mm -hmm. and whatever age, I don't know what that is. At any rate, so you're there, but you're also called to begin again inside yourself, to, to take everything you have known, all of your wisdom, and keep on developing. Mm -hmm. So it's the beginning again. And I think that first hexagram is the creative. And aren't we supposed to be creative? Yeah. With ourselves, our entire life, Mm -hmm. And that is an opportunity and responsibility. And the other thing that I want to mention in relation to the as if an imposter is how many people I have seen who are way into older age, way in. Mm -hmm. They're curious about their psyche. They want to know what happened. They want to put yeah. the pieces together. They want to figure out where was I real? Where was I not? Am I being my whole self now, how can I be more? They continue to be curious, mm. and available to the unconscious to have it become conscious. So again, it's a circle around in order to move on. Mm -hmm. And in this chapter is where you bring up uh, Jung talking about the East. We just mentioned the I Ching and the, the ancient Chinese Taoism and traditional Chinese culture, how they view longevity as an accomplishment, yes. a symbol of pride that includes qualities of endurance, perseverance, flexibility, and harmony. And that's quite different than we view it here in the West, isn't it? It is. And that's why I brought in the opposite. Mm. We, you know, we need other views because we have a very limited view. The, People who are not what we would consider old are constantly, I mean, maybe they're part of the imposter syndrome, promoted actually, I must say, through social media mm -hmm. and the as if personality. And they're not whatever old is, but they're constantly yearning to be younger. Yeah. Why? Why not honor who, everything you've got now? Because you wouldn't have had it when you were 15. Right. So. Forget it. Honor all of these qualities that the East does honor. Mm -hmm. The wisdom, the depth, the breadth, the knowledge. And and actually, you mentioned flexibility. You know, mm -hmm. there are so many, I'm sure you've seen this also, films where you see people in China doing, yes. doing yoga in the park. It's like keep flexible in your mind and your body. Mm. Your soul. Keep flexible and your psyche will grow. And that really is the more of the Eastern philosophy. It's not Western, really. No. No, we're lagging behind. And so it needs to be mentioned and spoken about because, well, 
because we want to enjoy all of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to have enough time to do the remaining chapters. There are three more. Chapter 10 is on body fragility. Oh, Chap nice. Chapter 11 on longing to belong, culture, complex, and analysis. And then it ends with chapter 12, living on. So as we wrap up here today, did you want to mention anything uh, in these last three chapters? I think they, um, well, let me just, let's just leave it. Okay. Because, because they are an extension in a way of what we have said. The longing to belong, I'll mention just about that. Uh, it really speaks about culture. Yes. Yeah. And how we accept or don't accept and how many people put on an as if facade in order to fit rather than stand out because they don't feel safe they don't they don't feel respected and that is a sadness that we as a culture really want to re-examine because the the push to look and act a certain way might not honor the heritage of who they are as people and we only grow when we face differences culturally, personally, psychologically. Yeah. And that, that I think is rather important to say, mm -hmm. to acknowledge. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Schwartz, for joining us again here today uh, to discuss your new book, which again will be released at the end of this month uh, by Routledge. Uh, it is available for pre-order on Amazon. There will be a link in the show notes and in the description here below. And I can't thank you enough for everything that you shared with us here today. Uh, it was really wonderful to see you. Thank you so much for having me. I wanted to also say that this has been an absolute pleasure and I hope that the people who watch gain from it as well. I want to acknowledge one thing because we are talking about authenticity. And I just wanted to acknowledge that as we have been speaking, the light has come through my office mm -hmm. and has put me a little bit in shadow. I don't mean to be in shadow, but I want to acknowledge that that's part of life. As you had said earlier, and as we spoke, and I just want to say that the timing, the weather, all of this affects us and actually makes our life richer. So thank you so much for this. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Schwartz. Thank you again. Please visit the website speakingofyoung.com for more information on everything discussed in this episode and to access all of our previous episodes available to stream or to download for free. Speaking of Young is also available on YouTube podcasts, which you can access by subscribing to our channel, Jungian Laura. It's free. Just click the subscribe button. This podcast is made possible by Temenos Dream, the revolutionary new dream recording app available for iOS and Android. Having trouble remembering your dreams? Now you can record them by speaking into your phone or typing them into the app. Keep your dreams organized, search the built-in symbol dictionary, and have AI illustrate your dreams all within the app. Download it for free today by clicking on the link on the episode page or in the description box below. Create a free account by October 15th and you'll get free premium access for life. I created Speaking of Young eight years ago and it's still on the air today because of the generosity of our listeners. All of our content is free to access, but it is not free to produce please visit our support page on our website at speakingofyoung.com support to help keep this podcast alive. Thank you to our recurring donors, John Temple, Ralph Gotzelman, Eric Hoops, Doreen Gordon, and Mark Johnson for their ongoing generosity and support. So with special thanks to Katie Randall and Menon Bursay at Routledge, I am Laura London, and you've been watching a very special video edition of speaking of young.